Good morning again. Welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church. We are continuing through Proverbs and are in Proverbs chapter 14 this morning. If you have a Bible, please open to Proverbs 14 and we'll begin at verse 16. But first, let's pray together. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we appeal to you that you would take your word and that you would do with it as you see fit, that it would not return empty, but that it would do that which you have sent it out to do. Father, would you carry your holy word to its holy purposes by your Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. Proverbs chapter 14, I would remind you as we make our way through the Proverbs, we're looking Uh, For opportunities to uh, tie together a handful of Proverbs, uh, please remember that King Solomon uh, has arranged these. There is a deliberateness uh, to how the Proverbs come to us in Holy Scripture. Now look with me, if you will, at Proverbs 14, beginning at verse 16. This is God's word. One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. A man of quick temper acts foolishly and a man of evil devices is hated. The simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. The evil bow down before the good, the wicked at the gates of the righteous. The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner. But blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Do they not go astray who devise evil? Those who devise good meet steadfast love and faithfulness. In all toil there is profit, profit, but mere talk ends only in poverty. The crown of the wise is their wealth, but the folly of fools brings folly. A truthful witness saves lives, but one who breathes out lies is deceitful. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. In a multitude of people is the glory of a king, but without people a prince is ruined. Whoever is slow to anger is great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. The wicked is overthrown through his evil doing, but the righteous finds refuge in his death. This is the word of our Lord. Well, I want us to begin looking at this passage by considering that King Solomon believes that wisdom is not a philosophical abstraction, but practical. You should have heard that from me over and over again. Wisdom is not a philosophical abstraction, but practical. Wisdom tells us how to live life. And what we have heard in this passage, not from all of the 17 verses, but from many of them, that King Solomon is saying that a wise life has certain consequences. A wise life has certain consequences. 
I think that everyone in this room should have read a children's storybook called The Wind in the Willows. Have you heard of this book? It's by Kenneth Graham, who wrote just, uh, in England just before World War II. And my favorite character is Toad. That's his name, Toad. And he's my favorite character, not because he's bad, but he is bad in a way. But Toad loves cars. And he can't stay away from them. He drives fast, he injures people, he pays fines, he suffers imprisonment, and you'd think that he would learn, and he hasn't. And there's a scene in which Toad, has, after he has served his stay in prison, he just hears a car. He just hears it. And he waits for the owner to go inside, and then he steals the car and drives to his delight and glee. Uh, The old passion seized on Toad and completely mastered him body and soul, Kenneth Graham says. And as if in a dream, Toad found himself somehow seated in the driver's seat, and you know what he does, speeds away. And he lives his life as if there's no sense of right and wrong and all fear of obvious consequences seem temporarily suspended. This is Toad, my favorite character. I don't know what you do with your favorite character who is bad. But we know that life shouldn't be like this, don't we? We know that life is filled with consequences. The things that we do have consequences. The things that we say, even the things that we think have consequences. And none of us here, because we are decent citizens, would say that life should be lived without consequences. We wouldn't say that. We know better. There are consequences to our actions. And what do you think should motivate us to live a life with an awareness that consequences matter? What is our motivation? If you were to ask someone on the street, they would probably articulate something having to do or sounding like karma. Why are you motivated to do things that have certain consequences? Well, if I do good things, good things will happen to me. It's the way the world works. If I'm generally speaking an honest person, life will go better. If I'm generally speaking working hard, the money will flow in. And that's karma. We're motivated to think about our consequences because if I'm good, good things will happen. You know that's true, don't you? Not karma, that's not true, but you know that it's true that many people think this way. That's the motivation to think about my consequences. And also, if you were to ask an average person, they they might also say that pure determinism determines the consequences. That is, the way I have experienced life in the past determines how I act in the present and the future. My consequences are always uh, mediated by what I've experienced in the past. Everything is determinism. This happened to me in the past, therefore this is the way I am in the present. It can be no other way. 
Is that a proper motivation for walking with mindfulness of consequences? No, it isn't. Karma is not the way and logical determinism is not the way. A Christian person is not an advocate of Hinduism, nor is a Christian person a subject of cold mechanical determinism. And as we look at these 17 verses together, I want to draw out the fact that there are lots of consequences in this passage that are meant to flow out of wisdom. If you're wise, these things happen. And here's what I think the theme of this passage is. Putting all 17 of these Proverbs together, again, looking at a relatively medium altitude. That's what we're trying to do, isn't it? We're trying to tie, tie various Proverbs together. Uh, the passage says this, that true wisdom has consequences for others. True wisdom has consequences, but the role that others play in our lives is all over this section of scripture. But first, we should ask King Solomon, what is wisdom? Isn't that a difficult, complex question? What is wisdom? Well, you know, friends, we've been in Proverbs for a very long time already. And as you seek to answer that question, what is wisdom? It should have something to do with fearing the Lord. We've been told this, haven't we, over and over again. What is wisdom? It's fearing the Lord. But look at the passage. We don't uh, always get that straight away, do we? Uh, And when we look at uh, wisdom being the fear of the Lord, we have to wait all the way to verse 27. Do you see 27? Do you see the expression fearing the Lord is there? But as we start from 16 and make our way down, we get to verse 22. And verse 22 says, those who devise good meet steadfast love and faithfulness. Those who devise good King Solomon is saying to his son, be good, do good things. To devise good is literally to plow good. I used to work on a farm. I know how hard it is to plow in a straight line. I realize I said that in a pretty arrogant way. When I say I know how to work on a farm, we're just talking a number of months. I'm sorry, that came out pretty hot. But I know how to plow a straight line and a crooked line. Verse 22, devise good with your life. This is what wisdom does. And if we were to ask, well, what is that good? Look at verse 16, to be cautious. That's good. Wisdom helps us to be cautious that we might turn away from evil, to be careful. Look at verse 17. To be good is to control your temper. Have a slow temper. And and we see this in verse 29. We see this in verse 30. Have a tranquil heart. Uh, What does it mean to be good? To be cautious and to control your temper. It also is to work hard. You see in verse 23, in all toil, there is profit. We are cautious. We control our temper. We work hard. Verse 18 is to be prudent, to be clever, strategic. And then in verse 25, finally, to be truthful, honest. Your life should have these consequences. This looks an awful lot like wisdom. Be good, Cautious, control your temper, work hard, be prudent and be honest. There you have it, Christian. Do those things. 
and you will have wisdom. Is there a problem with that for you? There is for me. All I have to do is be careful and control my temper and work hard. This is it. Well, it's not it. That's not what King Solomon says that wisdom is, is it? Wisdom is more than this. It's more than the sum of the good that you do. To be wise is not merely to do these things. Wisdom is about an attitude towards God. Wisdom is about fearing the Lord. That's why King Solomon has a hymn or a poem right here in our passage, verses 27 and 28. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. You see what comes first. The turning away from the snares of death? No. It's the worship of the one true God. And then King Solomon, he goes on, he says, and a multitude of people is the glory of a king, but without people, a prince is ruined. Do you know what I think 28 does? I think 28 is the other side of the same coin of 27. 27 says that our good life comes not by doing tasks. The world would tell us that. Karma would tell us that. Logical determinism would tell us that. Our good life does not come from doing good tasks, but from the relationship that we have with the one true God. Will we worship him or not? And notice that the fountain of life is just that, a fountain of life. It's eternal. It's never stopped up. That is the wise life. Trusting God, that's the wise life. Our ethical behavior is not the core. It flows out of something greater. And as I said, 27 and 28 are different sides of the same coin. Look at verse 28. The glory of this one true God is a multitude of his people. What do you think that means? Scholars differ on this. But it seems to me that uh, this is God's glory, a multitude of followers of him, worshiping him in his presence, taking delight in him. And so he takes delight in his children. We are his multitude. I think there's an imagery here of the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were made to be priests, to go out into the world and to proclaim the majesty of God. Uh, We hear in the covenant promises of God over and over again that Christian people are to be a blessing to themselves. No, to be a blessing to others. Why? So that others might become a part of that covenant family. This is God's multitude and this is God's glory. And we have access to this in the proclamation of the word that that multitude would grow And we know that it will be a multitude that receives Jesus as he comes in the second coming. And in the new heavens, there will be a great multitude worshiping at the throne of the Lamb. This is God's glory. Verse 27 and 28, they belong together. To be wise is to worship the one true God to trust in his promise to be a blessing to the multitudes. And out of that worship of God, 
there should be consequences. Do you see the priority here? Let's just spend a little bit more time thinking about the reality that wisdom has consequences. Without judgment, just notice how wisdom is not meant to be something. Wisdom is not meant to be merely a tool in your hands that you use to earn God's favor. That's not what wisdom is meant to be. But wisdom most certainly has consequences and the father doesn't want his son to miss this. We we so often think that our worship and our life are unrelated. Let me tell you what I mean by that. King Solomon would not have us believe this, but I'll share with you that I became a believer in my own living room. In my own living room, a friend would uh, come over and spend time with me. And then over a couple of months with this dear friend, I said yes to the gospel of grace. But it wasn't immediate. And it wasn't outside in public, it was private. And it, and it then took several months for me before I would actually go to church. Can you imagine? I'm a pastor. Several months knowing that I'm a Christian, not ready to be with those people yet. And then it took more than a year before I actually became a member of a church. And then you know how this story unfolds, don't you, Christian? Years beyond that moment of conversion, certain sins continue to harass me. That's true for all those who profess faith in Jesus Years beyond your, conf- your conversion, you continue to be a sinner and so do I. None of this is unusual. But all of us know that our worship of the Lord and our daily life, they must be connected. Yes, it's true that we still struggle with sin daily. We can know and love the Lord, but our carefulness in life our calmness of words, our desire to work and work hard, our prudence and our honesty, all of those things, they happen in varying degrees, don't they, Christian? They do, don't they? And what's worse, if we don't uh, come to grips with exactly what that means, uh, we can entirely privatize our worship life. Do you know people who profess faith in Jesus but never go to church, never behave in a way that is different from someone who doesn't profess faith? Do you know someone like that? How desperate a situation that is. They've privatized their worship They say they worship him, but we should wonder if they truly do because there's no consequence of the fear of the Lord in their everyday life. Alaskans are famous for their garages. They're famous for other things, but they're famous for their garages. You open an Alaskan's garage and you see all kinds of toys in there. There's so many toys, there's no room to park a car in that garage. If you drive in an Alaskan neighborhood and the garage doors open, you know a little bit about that family. And Christian, is your garage door open or closed? Have you privatized your religion to such a degree that you believe this, but it shall not have consequential evidence in your life? 
King Solomon, he assumes that true worship of God, it does impact our behavior and it should. Now we're very quick to stop here and assume that the goodness of wise consequences are guaranteed. If I have a relationship with God, all of these consequences will easily flow from my life. That's not true. The Christian life is the kind of life in which wisdom's consequences are sometimes there and sometimes are not. But it is so damaging if you believe that the karma is the solution. I shall try harder because if I do good things, good things will happen to me. If I am cautious, everything will be peaceful. If I'm slow to speak, there's never going to be an argument. If I work very hard, I'll always make more money. But we live in a fallen world and the world is not like that and karma is not to be believed. It is a false motivator. And the same thing is true with logical determinism. It's a lie. You say to yourself, if I can't do these things, well, there you have it. I can't do these things because look at my past. Something in my past prevents me from ever doing this well. I was parented poorly. I'll always be a poor parent. People shouted at me all the time and I'll always shout at others. My father was an alcoholic. I will be one too. I doubted my sexuality as a kid and I will always be riddled with sexual doubt in this life. Determinism says that these things make me. Do you really want to believe that? I'll never get better in certain areas of my life because of my past. Karma is dangerous for the Christian. Logical determinism is dangerous for the Christian. And King Solomon, he knows this about his son. And he knows this about those who profess faith in Jesus. Look what he says. You're going to assume, this is the third point, that consequences are meant for others. You're going to assume that we will be more motivated if we understand that our consequences have impact in the lives of others. Consequences of wisdom aren't just for me, they're for others. Doesn't that sound so Christian? Listen to where King Solomon takes this. Yes, it is true. Fearing the Lord has to do with care for your neighbor. You see that in verse 20, don't you? Fearing the Lord seems to even have to do with having friends with your neighbors. You see that in verse 20. Fearing the Lord has to do with not being hated by others, verse 17. Fearing the Lord is actually connected to loving our neighbor and showing our neighbor generosity, verse 21. And fearing the Lord is connected to caring for the needy and not oppressing the poor. You hear that in verse 31. Verse 30, fearing the Lord has to do with slowness of speech because it is others that hear our speech witness our temper. Even in verse 30, the other is present. In verse 19, fearing the Lord has to do with public behavior that's seen in the gates of the city. Verse 19, it's about public behavior before others. And what you're expecting me to say is to say, don't you see that, Christian? There's your motivation. It's not karma and it's not a determinism. It's actually loving and caring for others. 
And I don't think that that's how we should read this passage. And here's where I want to conclude. What is wisdom? It is fearing the Lord. And I know that if I truly feared the Lord, my behavior uh, would look slightly better. I would be further along in my sanctification. But turn that on its head. Who feared the Lord most of all? Was it not our Savior? Was Jesus not the one who feared the Lord perfectly? My goodness is always, always going to be far smaller than his goodness. But here's where I want to conclude. I'm not motivated by karma. I'm not motivated by determinism. I'm not motivated by selfishness. I must be motivated for others. But I want you to understand this. Jesus is the only wise one. And who do you think cared for his neighbor better than you could ever care for your neighbor? Where am I in this passage? You're the poor. You're the oppressed. You're the needy. And Jesus lived a perfectly holy life for you. That's where you are. Yes, fear the Lord, but know who truly feared the Lord and gave his life for his neighbor. Now, now we can talk about motivation. What is my motivation? God's love for me and his only begotten son who lived a perfect life and gave up everything for his neighbor who is me. Now what is your motivation? Gratitude, gratitude, gratitude for God's grace in the gospel. Wisdom is fearing the Lord. And Jesus has done all of that for your salvation. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father, we thank you for sending your only begotten Son. We will celebrate the sending of that Son in the season of Advent, but we thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, Holy Father, by your Spirit, would you cause our lives to be richly colored with thankfulness for the one who died for his neighbor. In his name, amen.